Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett, and today we're joined by Dr. Tara Walker. And this is a great chance for a fellow neuroscientist and another neuroscientist to get together and, and chat about the brain, which is something really incredible. Dr. Tara Walker is also a group leader at the Queensland Brain Institute, and she is an expert in understanding and trying to work out how exercises changes the brain's plasticity and and work out the mechanisms behind that so welcome tara thank you for coming and giving us your time today oh thank you for the invitation so do you want to tell the audience a little bit about who you are and how you came into doing what you're doing yeah well my name thanks selena so as i said my as you said my name's um, dr tara walker and i'm a research fellow and group leader here at the queensland brain institute at the university of queensland and yeah, my, my major interest is understanding how um, environmental influences such as exercise um, affect our brain function and how these things can um, sort of impact on our brain and extend our health span, let's say, um, as we age or in cases of neurodegeneration. I think one question people like to know almost straight away is what sparked your interest in one doing this but also to becoming a neuroscientist because it's not regular that every day this is happening yeah well um in, well in answer to the why how i became a neuroscientist that's that's a sort of interesting question i didn't start off my scientific career as a neuroscientist i actually started um in the plant biotechnology field so my phd is actually not in neuroscience it's actually in plant biotechnology um, specifically, actually, in microalgae, which is <laughs> very far away from the brain. Um, so, yeah, after completing my, my PhD, um, I really wanted to get into something more medically or more um, relevant to, to, to helping humans. Um, so I, I was really looking around for something that would pique my interest um, for my first postdoc position. And it was around that time that um, the Queensland Brain Institute was just um, being developed um, at the University of Queensland. So this was back in, in 2004, well, 2003, 2004. Um, and yeah, I just happened to be sort of right place, right time that they were hiring people. And I saw the, the job ad and it was these positions in neuroscience. And it was just, to me, totally fascinating, the sort of things that that was at the time happening in, in brain research and neuroscience. And I really wanted to, to be part of that. So I yeah jumped at the chance to apply for a, a position here. And yeah, now, I guess, almost 20 years later, I haven't looked back. <laughs> yes. Well, let's just say to the audience straight away that you are back at the Queensland Brain Institute. You may have started there, but in between, yeah. you've lived yes. in Dresden in Germany for eight years and you've had a family. Yeah. And yep. uh, we just want to make everyone aware, just all the achievements in, that have happened during that 20 years. So yeah. do, do you want to explain a little bit about that and how you end up on yeah. exercise? Yeah, well, so yeah, I, I, my background, well, my background since getting into neuroscience was in the, in the field of adult neurogenesis, which is basically, um, in lay terms, the generation of new neurons in the adult brain. Um, so this is the topic that I've basically been working on for my whole of my neuroscience career for the last, I guess, 18 years or so, 17 years. And um, basically, 
how I got into exercise is because one of the strongest ways that we can actually promote this generation of new neurons or adult neurogenesis um, is via physical exercise. So it was actually discovered back in um, uh, 1998 um, that in mice, um, when you give them access to a running wheel, they mice love to run. They run like crazy every night. They run like the distance of a full marathon or more per night. And when they run, it's all voluntary running. And when they run, it actually increases the number of new neurons generated in a specific area of the brain called the hippocampus. Now, this area of the brain is the um, area that's very important for a number of um, learning and memory processes, in particular, um, spatial learning and memory. Um, for example, your ability to be able to navigate um, in a space using uh, visual cues, for example, um, you know, uh, buildings or objects in, in the space to be able to, to, to determine your location. And this is one of the types of learning and memory that um, does decrease um, as we age. And um, this type of learning and memory, as I said, has been strongly linked to ongoing neurogenesis. So if we can find ways to promote this neurogenesis, we can delay some of the learning and memory effects that we observe during normal aging, but also we can potentially um, increase the number of new neurons generated in the brain in conditions um, where there is um, loss of neurons, for example, in Alzheimer's disease or other neurodegenerative conditions. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd love you to talk a little bit more about this because I think this is one thing that's missing is that people don't understand or, and we talked about this a lot together, um, you're a runner and yes. I'm a runner and you, did you ever think you couldn't run? Oh, yes, definitely. I, I've not, I'm quite, well, let's say quite new to the running, um, to, to running in general, like as we discussed like back when I was at school or even at university, I was a terrible runner. I was always very sporty. I was very much into swimming and other sports, but I was always considered myself not able to run. <laughs> and I think it was just because I hadn't pushed myself hard enough. I think once you overcome the barrier of like realizing that running is not that easy. And once you, you shouldn't just stop it the first time you start to feel a bit tired. <laughs> That once you push past that, then you get into a rhythm and you can actually run and you can actually run for quite some distances if you once you get past those initial hurdles. And I think in some ways, I think that's the hardest thing is just getting out there to start with and just pushing past those very first initial hurdles and, and, and realizing that, hey, I can do it if this if I, if I try, if I try. I only bring that up because um, I, I find it really fascinating of all the things that people are willing to do or try. There's so many, as soon as you mention that you're running or things like that, and especially when you get older, people always are the first, I don't run and you shouldn't be running anymore. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your knees. You're going to do all of this. I, I get very frustrated when people say, like, oh, don't run. It's going to ruin your knees. <laughs> it's the first thing everyone always says to me. <laughs> I've never touched wood, never had any knee problems really yet to date. Well, <laughs> I, I, think, uh, <laughs> I, I do think this comes from orthopedic surgeons 
and uh, many other things. I'll tell you that they've got a greater percentage of people that have run that they're doing knee replacements for and things like that. But we also don't talk about all the people that they're doing knee replacements for that have never run. And from their, you know, from other reasons, they're having to have knee replacements. So I, I yeah, just. I think in the scheme of things, um, a knee replacement is probably not so bad as some of the other things that running prevents you from getting. I know. <laughs> And I, and I think that, the, and this is why it's so exciting to have you join uh, our audience and for me particularly and personally, selfishly, to talk to you about this from a brain perspective because I think that piece is really missing. Uh, people think about it as being in shape, getting fit, looking at their body, toning their muscles, but people rarely think about the connection between the motor nervous system and the brain and and what you're specifically working on is for the audience the hippocampus is the part of the brain that stores our memories and there's a direct connection between moving your body through these nervous systems into improving memory but strengthening the physical connections in the brain as well and I don't know if you'd like to talk a little bit about that yeah, I think, and my interest in this also is that, I mean, there's there's so many studies now that have shown that, that physical inactivity is the leading core or the leading association um, with the development of neuro, apart from age, let's say, obviously age is the most um, important risk factor for developing any of these neurodegenerative conditions, but we can't really do anything about our age. That's something we're sort of out of our control. But after age, um, basically physical inactivity is the leading um, risk factor of developing any of these sorts of neurodegenerative conditions and unhealthy aging as well, physiological aging. And so this is something that we can very easily do something about. I mean, obviously we can't do anything about our genetics or our age, but physical activity is such an easy thing to increase. And you don't have to go out and start running marathons you can just start with you know walking or you know, do some do some walking do 30 minutes of walking a day and start increasing that you can try jogging but you don't have to I mean it doesn't have to be running physical activity doesn't have to be running yeah I mean lots I of people love running but it doesn't have to be running I it often say to people I like clicking your fingers or moving your arms just to get going, to get the dopamine motivation yeah. because, you know, yeah. it, it takes a while to get started if you, and people think that once you've stopped and, and it does get harder if you stop for too long, but it's these simple, tiny things that can help you move yeah, forward. And I, I say to people that you don't have to, you don't have to be a runner to, to exercise. You can do any sort of exercises. It's all like, as long as it's sort of cardiovascular exercise, you've got your blood pumping, you've got your, you know, your body moving um it's it's good for you and i mean i think people get put off by the fact that these studies show you know if you do x amount of you know high impact exercise or whatever but it doesn't have to be the case at all and this is a great segue to your discovery so um we didn't mention this but uh tara just published a really amazing paper which is how i connected with her in cell metabolism which is a very hard journal to get in and when I rang her, I said to her, well, I bet that took about eight years of work because um, I could tell by all the figures and I could see what had been asked for her to do. And she replied, yes, it had. So that what she discovered, and I'm going to let you talk about that, is something about the blood. 
And this is why pumping your blood, when, when Tara says cardiovascular, she means getting the heart at the stage where it can actually improve the amount of blood that's going around your body and then maybe getting into your brain. So let's talk a little bit about what you discovered in the blood. Yeah, so yeah, you, you're correct in saying it was a, a very um, long time to finish this study. I actually jokingly used to call it to, to everyone involved. It was my first baby because I actually started work on this project before I had my my first son and he's now seven and a half years old. Yep. <laughs> and I actually started the work um, when I was pregnant with him because I can remember my very first experiments starting them when I was pregnant. So yeah, well, around tell, eight years. Yeah, tell, <laughs> tell the audience because uh, not everyone's a scientist, but it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, so, so tell what, them about your first experiment because that's so cool, yeah, that discovery. So <laughs> the, first, the very first experiment we did, so we wanted to, so as I said, we, we know that exercise increased the number of new neurons generated in this region of the brain called the hippocampus. And this was discovered like more than 20 years ago, but we didn't understand how this was actually occurring. Like what was the mechanism? How is like something that we do with our full body translated to, to affecting the stem cells within the brain? And so I sort of thought, well, it must be, as you said, a, a, it's the full body systemic you know, action of exercise. It must be something that's produced systemically in our body that's then communicated to the brain. So we immediately thought of the blood. Um, so we, we did this very, very simple experiment, which has now led to basically all the major research programs in my lab, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which was we took mice that were running or not running, and we took some samples of their blood. And we looked at what proteins were changed um, in the blood of the running mice compared to the non-running mice. And this is where we discovered a couple of really interesting, interesting proteins. And the one that, um, that we've just published recently is um, actually called selenoprotein P. And I, I actually had never, I had never yeah. heard of that I one or selenoprotein P when, when I started this study. So some, some people may have heard of the word selenium. Yeah. So I... Basically, selenoprotein P is, a, is, a, is the transporter protein of the, of the mineral or the trace element selenium. So for anyone that doesn't know, and I, I, as I said, seven years ago, eight years ago, I knew nothing about selenium at all. <laughs> um, selenium is a trace element that's um, found naturally in our diet. It's in a lot of commonly eaten foods, um, such as you know, nuts, grains, um, dairy products, fruit and vegetables, etc. Um, it's actually, interestingly, it's at very, very high levels in Brazil nuts. So, so um, to, to get your daily recommended dietary dose of selenium, you only need to eat one Brazil nut per day. Yeah, and don't eat too many because you can don't get eat the too opposite. Many. Exactly. <laughs> um, but um, it's actually taken up into the, into the uh, plants um, via the soil. So selenium is actually in our soil and our water, um, in our water. And so, yeah, so it's basically in, in all sort of fresh produce. And there's been like quite a number of studies looking at selenium and brain health, but nothing um, relating to neurogenesis or neuron generation in the brain. So we thought, okay, well, if, if this protein is one of the ones that's really highly changed up to exercise, maybe this is maybe selenium transport in our blood has got something to do with regulating the effect of exercise. So basically we then did a whole, whole bunch of studies, <laughs> which I won't go into like specific details about all of those because that would that's a very long <laughs> story. Um, but basically we could show that, um, that indeed selenium itself could um, 
increase the neuron generation um, in the hippocampus. So it could have the mimic the effects of exercise that we could see in the mice. Um, and we could show that we could um, block this effect if we um, had special transgenic mice where we had no selenium transporter, so not, none of the protein or none of the receptor. So it really showed that this protein was involved in regulating this effect of running. Can I just um, ask a question? So that's sort there? of the start of the study. Just out of interest. Yeah. So did you say that um, if you have the knockout? of that protein then you can't get the same exercise induced change in new neurons yeah, in the so hippocampus right. yeah. yeah so we have that we did it both with the step one knockout mice and the receptor knockout mice so the lrp8 knockout mice That's and neither of those um mice had the had the um, exercise induced increase in neurogenesis that we normally see in wild type mice wow. so basically when we knock out the transport of selenium we no longer get the effect of exercise on neurogenesis so it really so, told us that this must be sort of a key um, mediator of this effect isn't that incredible so in your mind and this is too much of an extrapolation but just something out of curiosity does that mean nutrition is really important to get the benefits of exercise at, well, at the high, high be, level. It could be. So this is sort of what we want to follow up. So yeah. we still there's still quite a few open questions after yeah. this study. Um, but, yeah, basically following on from that, obviously our, our goal is to be able to use this somehow therapeutically to be able to um, improve some of the learning and memory deficits um, that are observed in cases where neurogenesis decreases. So in our study, we used two different models. We used aging. So we have a, just a model of physical, physiological or normal aging where we have very old mice. Um, and these mice, um, so neurogenesis levels decrease significantly with age, yeah. um, as do their associated learning and memory function. So we do a, run, a, a bunch of really um, cool tests on the mice to assess their learning and memory capacity. So these are basically lots of different spatial learning and memory tests involving mazes and, and um, lots of these different learning paradigms. And so the young mice can do these tests really, really well. They can remember their location in space and can easily you know, avoid a, a zone or can go find a, a specific location, depending on which test we're doing. Um, but the old mice are terrible. They can't, just can't remember these spatial visual cues anymore. Um, so basically we did an experiment where we supplemented the old mice with selenium to see if we could replicate some of the um, neurogenesis enhancing effects. And it was amazing. We could, we could get a significant improvement in their learning and memory function in the aged mice um, that received the selenium um, supplementation. We just gave it in their diet by their drinking yeah. water. And yeah, they had it. They became so much smarter. They could remember. They could do these learning tasks so much better than the ones that didn't receive the selenium. Wow, this food is really medicine in some sense. Yeah, were you expect? Were you kind of hypothesizing from that finding that uh, it was helping promote the protein that it interacts with? To like, what what do you think the mechanism is in the older mice? Why selenium is doing something to improve yeah their... so we're still we're still not 100 percent sure but our hypothesis at the moment is um that selenium is actually a very powerful antioxidant protein and we've done some other studies um which we also published a year or so ago um basically showing that um 
that the levels of oxidation in the hippocampus are quite high. And if we can give antioxidants, then this can um, start pushing the stem cells to start dividing. Um, and we think this is part of the effect of exercise. So exercise actually initially gives a, a, a increase in the oxidative state temporarily, but then it actually brings it back down to levels below like the baseline that we normally see. So we sort of get this like um, upward shift and then downward shift um, following exercise. Like an inverted um, that we believe, <laughs> Yeah, that we believe is actually mediated by um, the release of antioxidants such as the selenium and CEP1. Um, so this is our current hypothesis is that um, exercise actually releases a lot of these Exercise increases the oxidative state and then releases a bunch of antioxidant factors to counterbalance this and it actually brings it to below baseline levels. So you actually get a net sort of decrease in the in the redox state in the um, stem cell niche. And this is what um, basically tells the cells to start dividing and generate more new neurons. Right. More new neurons. Yeah. yeah. So it's like sensing the environment to see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, so that was um, very exciting. And we sort of followed up that study in ageing with the uh, study in stroke. So we also performed experiments, uh, similar experiments in a stroke model because we're very interested, my lab's very interested in stroke. And we basically did the similar thing. We have a mouse model of stroke and we gave them um, selenium supplementation either before the stroke for a few weeks or immediately following the stroke. And in both cases, the selenium supplementation could completely reverse all the behavioral deficits that we observed um, following the stroke, which was quite amazing. And the amazing part was that even giving the selenium after the stroke, like a couple of hours after the stroke, rather than pre-treatment, um, gave a similar effect, which well, for a sort of translational point of view is um, very exciting. Yeah, and we want to point out to the audience that you don't go and have a bucket of selenium because there's toxicity related to too yes. much, just like everything. We always exactly. want to we exactly. want to walk that moderate pathway because we always tend to think yeah. if you double down on something, it's better. No, so in the case of selenium, um, I think I wouldn't necessarily prescribe selenium to a normal healthy adult to take selenium supplements because anyone that's having a, a well-balanced diet with lots of fresh fruit and vegetables and nuts and grains, et cetera, should easily be getting their daily recommended dose of selenium. It's only um, our levels of selenium decrease as we age, and it's also levels of selenium have been shown to be decreased in levels in um, neurodegenerative um, conditions. So I think perhaps in these conditions, um, supplementation might be beneficial. But, of course, I can't say yet because we haven't done any um, trials in humans yet all of our studies so far have only been in mice so obviously we're aiming at some stage to be able to take this into into humans and see whether we see yeah. similar effects yeah and the other thing that i know that you've been asked a lot about is well does that mean i don't have to exercise i just can take a supplement <laughs> uh, yeah exactly this is what i said because i mean we we're saying well yay selenium can can mimic the effects of exercise but this is only so far as in the effects in relation to increasing neuron production in the hippocampus and improving some of these spatial learning and memory deficits. Obviously, we're not going to be able to mimic all the full beneficial effects on ex of exercise on our you know, cardiovascular system and all our other, our other organs and everything else. 
So there's never going to be, no matter what anyone says, there's never going to be an exercise mimetic drug that we can just take that's going to offer the full beneficial effects of actually doing exercise. No. But obviously this is somewhat interesting um, or beneficial in the cases of people that can't exercise where you, you can't, you know, if someone's just um, suffered a stroke or something like this, obviously we can't say, well, go out for a run. So if we can mimic some of the beneficial effects, especially in relation to some of these um, cognitive deficits, then then this is very exciting, but it's never a substitute for actually exercising. But it does say to me that the diet component combined with exercise is something that's really important too. So like yeah. if, you're eat, if you're eating really poorly and don't have all of the access to selenium, then perhaps you're not getting the benefits you could be getting for starving off or you know delaying effects on memory for example as you're aging yeah so a number of a number of dietary um supplements have been shown to improve learning and memory and neurogenesis it's not just not just um selenium there's quite a number of papers on all sorts of dietary dietary you know different foods different elements different fats and oils and Lots of antioxidants. So a lot of the antioxidant foods, such as you know um, blueberries, green tea, some of these things have all been shown to have very, very beneficial effects on neurogenesis and brain health in general. Yeah. Um, so let's just switch tracks a little bit. Um, congratulations. Um, that work is really excellent. And no, um, I just want to talk a little bit about you for a second and say what it took for you to be to become a. And I get asked this question a lot too. How did you become a neuroscientist? There's a lot more people interested in becoming neuroscientists than ever before, especially compared to when we started. Um, mm-hmm. And and and, and being a woman with a family in science, that's and I understand the difficulties. Maybe let's talk a little bit about what it took for you to move to Dresden, some of the learnings you've had by traveling, and mm-hmm. the opportunities that you gained by getting that global experience um, in the development of you as a scientist. Yeah, I think I was um, very fortunate to have the opportunity to move overseas at the at the stage of my life when I when I could before we had the had the children. We we decided that we were wanted to move somewhere else. Somewhere else in the world, we were, we're pretty. We were pretty keen to move to Europe, but we didn't really care where. Um, just to get some experience overseas and and um, make those new connections and and yeah, basically just also from the from a personal perspective to be able to travel and to you know explore new places and have the experience of living in a different country where you know where they don't speak English and all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it was great. We we ended up choosing um, Dresden in particular because um, the lab that I ended up going to was one of the sort of top labs in the adult neurogenesis field. So that's why I I chose to go there. Um, they were actually initially in Berlin and they moved to Dresden just when I just before I moved there. So I thought I was going to be moving to Berlin, but Dresden was such a great city. I we really 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 loved living there. It's it's such a such a change from living in a living in a big city to living in a much smaller city and yeah the feel of the of the city was so nice um i highly recommend anyone to to visit dresden if they're ever in in europe or germany it's such a beautiful place i, I miss it very much still 
Yeah, I'll remember that. I have never been there. So uh, it's, so that, it's not part of East Germany. Uh, well, uh, it was. It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. East Germany doesn't really exist anymore, but I yeah, it was, yeah. it was part of East Germany. And so this is why, um, so in some ways it was initially a little tough living there because because it was in part, part of East Germany, most um, people or most older people there couldn't speak any English because they, they only learned Russian at school, not English, because um, it was in East Germany. Um, so we initially found it quite tough not being able to, to speak German living there and and um, took us a, little, a while to, to get used to that and to get our German up to levels where we sort of could <laughs> go around in public and sort of, you know, at least order food or, or have <laughs> conversations with people in public rather than look very confused when anyone spoke to us. <laughs> um, but I think that was part of the, the fun and the learning curve just to at the same time. And I think this is very much linked to the sort of the exercise enriching your environment sort of whole thing as well. Like um, one of the other things that really affects our brain is or positively affects our brain in particular, you know, neuron generation and neurogenesis is what's so-called enriched environment. And this is such things like learning a new language, traveling, um, you know, even things like just reading a lot, doing crosswords, doing, you know, keeping your brain active. Um, and so I think it was very much um, sort of an adventure at that time to, to travel and live in a country. We, we, we were there for eight years. We bought, a, we bought an apartment there. We had two kids there. We, wow. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Uh, and, yeah, I think on that topic of around the brain, this is a bit that people really like the thing that has struck me about as because I'm much older than you um, and I've lived in America for 12 years and stuff. The thing that struck me about getting older is that people start taking things away from people. So there's all of this concerted effort in society to say at 60, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. And yeah. it's happened over a long period because we never used to live this long. But what I, what I came to see, and I'm sure you're more expert in this than I am, is that the people that are living long time are actually doing new things as they get older. They're not doing yeah. less. And so you yeah. could see it. Yeah, I think definitely the, the people in general, I mean, it's only ever a generalisation because yeah. there's always exceptions, but the people that generally have a much more preserved cognitive function during normal aging are those that are always doing new things or that are always learning new things doing new keeping active socially as well as physically um learning new jobs learning new hobbies um all that sort of thing because i think as people sort of retire and and become like not part of the workforce, their social circle sort of decreases, people aren't doing as many things socially. I really advocate for um, people once they're retired to start new hobbies to, but particularly things that involve a lot of social uh, interactions with new people, new places, new learning new, new things basically. Um, and also obviously traveling which at the moment is a little bit tough for the last been, few yeah. years, but well, hopefully, that will, hopefully that will improve. Yeah, the <laughs> pandemic's had a big impact on everyone in that regard. Too, I think it was it? particularly would have had a big impact on, on people that were 
at that age where they just retired and had been planning to do their big, you know, traveling and et cetera. Yes. I, think that- well, I think that's another lesson learned for all of us that don't wait. What are you waiting for? Because you don't know what's around the corner, right? You'd never predict a pandemic once in a hundred year event or whatever it is. You, I think uh, our tragedy is waiting for the day when everything's going to be perfect and you can do it. And that's another lesson learned about the brain wants novelty. It wants you to, to reach. Yeah, so I definitely advocate for, yeah, definitely as, as I think almost as important as, or if not as important as exercise is the, the mental stimulation that you get from learning, learning, learning new things, learning new hobbies, learning new languages and the social interactions with, with other people. Yes. And I don't, and I think we should elevate that conversation around social interactions. I mean, not everyone can do it. Some people uh, are happy on their own at home they'll tell you that and they find social interactions anxious inducing but um, anxiety inducing I should say but I think that that social cognition or the ability to learn to interact with people is actually very challenging for the brain and and what we all yeah, see I, so I mean we see this in, in mice I mean the part of when we set up so-called enriched environment within mouse studies. So we do quite some work on enriched environment as well as exercise. And a very major aspect of the enriched environment is the increased um, group sizes of, of the mice where they form social interactions in hierarchies, etc. cetera, um, as opposed to mice that are just living near one or two per, per cage. And you really see the positive impact that that has on, on their well-being. Yes, uh, we did some of these experiments in San Francisco for around alcohol consumption and the animals that were housed together didn't drink <laughs> compared yeah. to the ones on their own and you can switch the, switch the environment and it makes them drink more. So that was really, yeah. and mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you're trying to work out and understand what's going on in the brain to drive that because that's really interesting and, you know, how we can help other people by doing that. So let's let's switch to um, now for, for people that won't know Tara's training for a 60 kilometer trail run around our beautiful yes. mountains here, Mount Kutha, Mount Glorious, Mount Nebo. I bet you didn't think you'd be able to do that at some point, not that long ago. No, well, I'm still not 100% convinced that I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> but um, I'm optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, everyone, all my friends think I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that. Luckily, really. luckily, I have a few friends crazier than me that have talked me into doing this. So, special shout out to my friend Cora, who's actually one of the organizers of the Brisbane Trail Ultra. She's convinced me to do this crazy thing. So, <laughs> I need to meet her. Uh, she's, she's if you want to talk about running she will talk about running with you for hours it's yes. like <laughs> more obsessed by running than me <laughs> so uh, do you want to step the audience through a little bit from the Tara that never liked to run who preferred yeah. to swim and didn't think she'd run to running a few marathons half marathons to now um, seeing very clearly the possibility in a very couple of months to run 60 kilometers which you will do I know and in, in on trails <laughs> around Brisbane I think what we want to do is encourage people it's not about running as you said it's about moving the body exercise and getting that blood pumping but let's let's help the people because this is really the biggest thing is I don't run I'm not going to run it's really bad for you let's let's uh 
add some you're running you're in charge of the running club at QBI let's talk through all the people you've helped run and and the little tiny steps you took to help them do that yeah so as you said like I used to be terrible at running I I still don't think I'm very good at running I just really really enjoy it (laughs) I'm not particularly fast I'm never going to win any races but (laughs) I, I first started running um actually back when I was doing my PhD and I sort of started just as more of a sort of stress release type of thing. Another co-PhD student at the time um, was just starting out running as well and we sort of said, oh, let's do this together. And at the time I could barely run one kilometre. And we sort of just gradually increased, you know, during those sort of PhD years. Towards the end of that, we actually did my first 10-kilometre fun run. (laughs) And looking back now, like, I... At the time, it was so hard and I felt I, I actually like I wasn't even didn't even go fast. My, my time actually in the end was like 64 minutes for my first 10K fun run, which is actually pretty slow. <laughs> and but I was so exhausted at the end. I could I could hardly speak. I couldn't walk for like two days afterwards. Yeah. Like I was that that wrecked from from that run and now like I just run 10ks all the time and I ran 10ks this morning and I feel completely fine yeah exactly (laughs) um but just looking back at it now like how hard it was then and then how it just gets easier and easier and easier and you don't really even notice that it gets easier and easier and easier it just sort of happens (laughs) and I sort of would never have thought that at the time, I thought, oh, yeah, like 10K fun run, that's going to be like my limit. I'm never going to be you know, doing anything more than that because that was so hard. And then I sort of did that for quite some years. And then it was when I was a postdoc here at QBI several years later, um, I was actually at a, at a fun run, one of the ones at South Bank many years ago. And I bumped into another colleague there and they're like, after we finished the fun run, and he said, oh, I'm thinking about doing a half marathon. He was a colleague that worked at QBI and he's like, do you want to do it with me? And I was just like, oh, you know, hyped up from finishing my 10K fun run. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it. (laughs) And we had several months to train and we was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But we trained and we did, it was the Brisbane half marathon and we did it and I completed it without stopping. And that was like a big deal because I didn't think I'd ever be able to run a half marathon distance. That was to me at the time totally insane. And then some about a year or two up, about a year or so actually after that, the same same friend that I did the first half marathon with me said, you know what, I think we should do a marathon. <laughs> I was like, you're crazy. Like, I can't do a marathon. That's just insane. And I was like, and he's like, oh, come on, let's just try. So I was like, yeah, because I'm always up for a challenge. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, let's just let's just try. I can, we can do this. So we actually registered for the it was the the Capri Marathon down in Hobart. Oh, the nice. The half marathon, I mean, full marathon down in, in Hobart. That was my first marathon that oh, I ever did. What a great and place. It was It was so hard. Like we did all the training and like like, we made the, did the proper training schedule. It was all new to me because I'd always just run and not really made like training schedules and things. We made the proper like training plan, 16-week training plan and stuck to it, increasing our distance on the long runs by like 2Ks every Mm -hmm. week. And and, and we made it. We ran and I, I, I managed to run the whole thing without stopping. And I was so proud of myself because what I'd done to to spur myself on this is what I quite often do with things yeah. it's 
is that I told everyone that I was going to do it and Mm -hmm. I told everyone that I was going to do it without stopping. Yeah. And therefore, because I told all my friends and family that if I didn't do it, then I would feel so ashamed, like so sort of embarrassed to tell them, oh, no, I didn't actually do it, that I, it was such a matter of pride that, okay, I've told everyone I'm going to do this, now I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did and it was fun. But I still remember like the last few kilometres because this, this race actually ended on a, on a, on a hill. So you'd run like 41 kilometres or something and then the last one whole kilometre, well, the 42nd kilometre was up a big hill to the finish line. Wow. And I remember like at the bottom of the hill and my husband was there cheering me on and he's just going, you can't stop now. Look, you, the finish line is just up there. Don't stop. Don't stop. You're going to be so upset with yourself if you stop right now. And he was walking beside me and I was running so slowly he could walk yeah. at the same yeah, pace yeah. as me. Yeah. And yeah. he's just like, just keep going, just keep going, you're almost there. And so I was like, okay, and I yeah, made it without stopping. So I was yeah. very, very proud. Well, well then, done. And even that distance, like after the next few, I did a few more marathons after that and they just become easier because once you've done it once, the mental block is not there anymore. You go, yeah. oh, well, I've done this yeah. before so I can do this. So, yeah, I the last marathon I did was in Berlin. So I did the Berlin Marathon. Oh, lovely. Amazing. Yeah. Um, those big marathon events are so oh, spectacular. The, the spectators basically line the streets for mm. the entire course, cheering everyone on. And it's just the most amazing atmosphere that you yeah. can imagine. Yeah. And they have so many people running it. It's, just, it's insane. Like I'd love to do another one of those big events one day. Yeah. Um, so that was the last one I did, and that was before, just before I had my son. So I haven't done a full marathon now since I think that would have been 2013, maybe. Yeah. Well, so, I think it's. Um, I think my yeah, last. I'm ready bit- now. To, ready now to try try yeah. a big one again. I've done think, a few halves since then, but no full ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know you have to work out where to put your energy at some point there is a lot of training involved and I remember these moments too where you're like I can either keep doing this and moving forward or I have to take care of my kids for a while and put my energy there and this is what I'm noticing now trying to train for this one and we've only just really started the training the last few weeks properly um it's how much different it is because all the previous events I did, I didn't have any kids. <laughs> and so I couldn't, and my favorite thing used to be like, if you asked me what's your ideal Sunday, my ideal Sunday would be to get up early, go for like a 30K run, go somewhere and have a huge big brunch with like, you know, waffles and ice cream and coffee and, and then lie on the couch and watch TV for the rest of the day <laughs> or read a book on the couch for the rest of the day. But now that's not possible. Like you have to do all that in the morning and then come home and look after the kids and do stuff and it's exhausting. Exactly. And I'm finding it so much more difficult this time because you don't have that opportunity to just train in the morning and then just sleep the rest of the day. <laughs> I know. It is a challenge, that's for sure, but I'm sure you're up for it. Um, thank you for offering uh, all of your beautiful studies to try and understand how it's working. I think that's really fabulous it's groundbreaking and there's going to be more and more of this work it's so good to see that finally in neuroscience we're focusing on whole systems and environmental enrichment just rather than breaking it down to the small <laughs> little bits and trying to understand them forever um, so thank you for making those 
and putting in that hard work of eight years uh, to get that uh, really big paper out that uh, I don't think many people would understand just how miraculous those things are and how much determination it takes to pull that off and then also to be a mother and everything else that you're doing in your life um your kids are lucky to have you as a role model um <laughs> I, I think as a summary for the audience in terms of little things they can do it's not all about running it's just really about movement and when you say getting your heart going there's lots of ways of doing that because some people may not be able to run for lots of Yep. Tons of reasons, which we could label them all, but there's many. But there are things that we can do to get um, our brain going, aren't there, that you mentioned around learning a new language or going and meeting a new person or reaching out to other people and you know, forcing yourself to do things you don't want to do. <laughs> um, and the thing I liked in that last conversation that you mentioned toward the end is just understand that the brain is much stronger than you realise. And when you set yourself a goal and you put it and you say to others that this is what you're going to get to, even if you have no idea how you're going to do it, for some reason the brain lines up all of these factors to actually help you achieve that goal in a way. So it's that first step, isn't it, of recognizing that maybe you're stronger than you realize and you want to give it a go to see how strong you really are. Yeah, I think the, I think it's like with running. I, I say most of it is like it's like ten percent actual physical ability and 90% stubbornness <laughs> brain power I like to call it <laughs> I don't will. yeah I, I, we mentioned earlier about Wim Hof um, and and others like David Goggins you can't hurt me and people that have come from all sorts of different backgrounds and different um, situations that have really t taught us just how much actually extra we have inside us that is completely untapped and unrealized. And, and I love these people that are out there on the extreme ends of all of this as well. But you don't need to be extreme, do you, to get the benefit? <laughs> um, thank you, Tara. I'm looking forward to seeing what the next set of papers are coming out of your lab. And I wish we wish you all the best in your trail run. I look forward to it you emailing me to tell me that you when you finished it <laughs> give yep. me some motivation to maybe give it a go myself <laughs> one day and I guess the the bottom line here is everyone you're never too old to start and the brain will love you for it and yep. it's never too late is it no definitely not so thank you for coming on the Thriving Minds podcast and I hope we get to interview you again so if you have the next breakthrough that you'd like to share we'd love to hear from you well, thank you very much for having me.